Join me as we skip to the end of a book. Not the ending of the story, but further in the back, almost by the back cover, The Acknowledgements. I've always been fascinated by The Acknowledgements and find myself asking questions I wish I had the answers to. Are the people they thanked still in their lives? Do they regret not including someone? What's the meaning behind this inside joke or story? Well, now I finally get the answers to my questions. In this podcast, I'll talk to the authors and explore the acknowledgements. So flip to the back of the book with me and let's start there. All right, today on the Acknowledgements podcast, I am so excited to welcome Katie Rundy, the author of The Shore. Here's The Shore. How are you doing today, Katie? I am doing great. I'm so excited to be here and chatting with you after the book's been out, gosh, like 10 months now. So it's it's really fun to talk about it at this stage. That is fantastic. And I'm excited about getting into it. But I'd love for you to start with giving a brief premise of the book for all of the listeners. Yeah. So I love to talk about this book in terms of like, it has this tragic element at its core where it's a family that lives in this Jersey Shore town called Seaside where I grew up. And it's a mom, two daughters and a dad. Dad has a glioblastoma brain tumor. That's the tragic piece of it, right? So it really changes who he is. It changes his social and emotional way of interacting with the world, like it really changes his personality in a really different way than say a character with dementia, right? His memories are all intact, but it's the way that he responds to things, his impulses, right? So this family owns a summer rental business that they have to keep going. And the two girls are teenagers. And of course they're getting into all the trouble that teenagers get into. And they have their own summer jobs in addition to their family business. And then of course, mom is trying to keep all this going and manage everything all while knowing how this will end, right? There's not going to be some like miracle cure for this thing. You know how it's going to end. So I always say it's also an unspoilable book, right? You do know where it's headed. The joy and the heartbreak is in seeing how it plays out, I think. So yeah, I had read so many stories about people who are not themselves. It's this like genre I've been kind of like obsessed with for years. And I think that's really what I wanted to portray, particularly like against the backdrop of this really wild summer environment and how those things brush up against each other and conflict with each other. That's perfect. And I was really drawn to the fact that it was the shore and living in New Jersey and going to the Jersey shore. I just loved the colorful portrayal of that whole world. And with that, I want to actually jump into one of your acknowledgments at the back of your book, which I think has to do with the shore. And I'd love for you to tell me more about this. Jeff and Liz Ball, thank you for showing me the best version of young love at a boardwalk job. And many (laughs) thanks to the staff at Marty's Doghouse. Tell me about that. Yeah. So starting with Marty's Doghouse, that was our, that was my family's business growing up. My dad had like his hand in a lot of different businesses. My, I always joke that actually summer rentals are the literal, I think only job, like only summer business that we didn't have in my family. <laughs> so of course I chose that one to put in the book, but right. that was our snack bars in Seaside Park. And it was like, you know, your usual like fries, pizza, a hot dog kind of place. And there was a little like beach shop too, and ice cream. And yeah, that was my entire like childhood and teenage years was working there. And with all these people. So Jeff and Liz were just a little bit older than me. So they were about four years older. And 
I kind of saw them fall in love at their job. Like I was, so I was like a very young teenager and I just kind of watched them fall in love. I watched them have a long distance relationship as they both went away to college. I watched them break up and get back together. I watched them on their worst days and their best days. And when you're working at a job like that, it's obviously I was very interested and I was at the perfect age to, to, always to want that for myself one day. And they're both just, they end up getting married and they have two beautiful boys and live outside of Philly. And yeah, I think that stays with you when you're so close to seeing that unfold with people who are essentially your family. You really don't forget that. And then the last part of that, you know, Patrick and Michael, we were the team, like in addition to my entire family, like every, it was all hands on deck who like. To, to jump ahead to probably something we'll talk a little bit more about is my dad also had this same glioblastoma. So that's, that's based on my own family's experience. And so he was diagnosed in the summer. And so we had to kind of like, you know, keep the business going while he was dealing with the beginnings of this. And I'll never forget everybody who jumped in and just got us through that August. But those two guys in particular were the like there from the minute the place opened till the till the end. And we, you know, took over like the stuff that we that wasn't really our job before. All of a sudden we were like doing payroll and putting in all the Cisco orders. And it was like it was it was a lot to get through for like teenagers. And so I'm very grateful for those guys. That's an amazing story. And I'm glad you pointed them out because I was going to ask. That's what's always so interesting to me about the acknowledgement. Sometimes you don't know everyone's full story that you mentioned. Yeah. So that's really special. Yeah, yeah, you know, it really is. And they're such special people. And I got to share the book with all of them, which was really one of the top like moments of when the book came out. That's amazing. And And actually, you know, speaking of your dad, so you end the acknowledgments with thank you and a whoosh wherever you are to anyone who ever loved Marty. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. So yeah. So as I as I mentioned, this is based on my own family's experience. And he was so was, he was a very eccentric guy before, you know, his whole life. And so, so you know the move at a basketball game. This is a great time to talk about that because there's uh, by the way, go Hawks, the women's Iowa women's basketball teams in the final four. Uh, by the time this comes That's out, awesome. Well, how it turned out but speaking of that right when when they make a basket you put your hands in the air and you go whoosh right <laughs> at yes. a basketball game and so my dad would do that whenever anything good happened he would make the whole restaurant or the whole like family gathering or wherever you were if you won a race or got engaged or just or we had a great day right where we made a bunch of money <laughs> he would get everybody to put their hands in the air and do a big whoosh so when I was when I was a teenager, I thought this was the worst, most embarrassing thing anyone could do in the world. <laughs> I just like I was horrified by it and and so embarrassed by it. And of course, as a grown up, I know that it's it's a beautiful thing to do to celebrate a great moment or a great day or somebody's accomplishment by getting everybody in the room to do that. Like, how great is that? So so I was really thinking of everybody who would read this book and would see themselves and see my dad in these characters, right? Of course, it's all fictionalized, but there's but there's such a like strong thread of reality. So I really wanted to acknowledge all those people because then 
the network of people who don't, I have very lengthy acknowledgements, but there's a, there's a network of people who aren't in there who I think still deserve a little shout out and to know they were on my mind. Do you make your family whoosh? <laughs> Do I now? Yeah. We quietly whoosh, kind of okay. like a whoosh, but I will say my mom, my sister, and I no, we don't have the power or the inclination to get an entire room to mm. do it, which is a great question. Maybe we should get out of our comfort zone a little bit, do it every once in a while. <laughs> in a way, it was, you know, in a way that was his tradition. Yeah. So, so we'll talk about it, you know, so we'll talk about it and make a little one sometimes, but <laughs> I, love it. I, will, I, love it. I will, I will, I will get whoever's around me to Woosh if Iowa the Iowa women win on Friday. There you go. <laughs> then I'm even cheering for them. <laughs> Which I should mention, I live in Iowa City now, like grew up at the Jersey Shore and moved for moved for love, you know, like like you do. So is, so your love was not a Jersey Shore love. Is that correct? <laughs> the love that I married was not a Jersey Shore love, I should say. <laughs> right. He grew up in the Midwest. And we moved around, moved around quite a bit. And, and he ended up getting a job at University of Iowa and his family's from, from out here too. I love to tell the story about him though. He loves the Jersey shore. He comes, he comes every summer. We bring our whole family every summer. And like, that is a non-negotiable, that would be a non-negotiable item. And anyone I would marry, you have to get it. You have to think that there's nowhere like it. You know, you can't like, it, in the great words of Taylor Swift, you can't just like tolerate it. You have to love it. <laughs> and, <laughs> I really, and I will really never forget the first couple times I brought him there and he got it right away. He had never been anywhere like that. We took a drive from Seaside all the way up to like the mansions of Mantelokine and took him to the boardwalk and got him all the fried food, all, all of it. And, and he, he loved it from the minute he loved it so much. He actually, we were dating for about, I don't know, eight weeks. <laughs> he, he applied for an internship at the Jersey shore and, and was like, Hey, Hey, I got this internship at the Jersey, the Jersey shore. And he was going to actually live with his friend who lived a little closer to the hostel where he's going to work. And I was both thrilled and very overwhelmed, but that's how much he, that's how much he loved it. <laughs> as he should, as he should, right? I fried food boardwalk and just this energy that I think is very unique to the Jersey shore yeah I I really there's so many beach towns right you go to like a sleepy you know a sleepy kind of rainy Oregon coast you go to like a beautiful bougie California coastal town you could go to Key West they are all beautiful places but I've never nowhere is quite the same agreed agreed and that's I love I love that that is the setting of this whole book so with your acknowledgments, I noticed since we're talking about family now, one that I really loved was you talked about being so grateful for all the teachers at the preschool and the public schools who cared for and taught your children, especially during the pandemic. So tell me uh, yes. about adding that in there. Yes. First of all, I feel strongly that that male writers should also put that in there, <laughs> in there, whether they're just chatting in casual conversation or actually, you know, people who do work of any kind, you know, should acknowledge the people that are taking care of your kids because it's, yeah, it's so important. And it really like frees up this like space in your brain and your heart to really focus on whatever it is that whatever work it is that you're doing. And all those people did such a beautiful job. And there's like, 
there's a, I remember that feeling like the first time you drive away after I was a stay at home mom before my kids like transitioned into, and, and you still are when they're only there for a couple hours a day, but there's really nothing like that feeling when you are leaving and they are, they run into the school and they give like a huge hug to the person that they're going to go and be with, you know? And an interesting thing about Iowa city is like in all these places, right? Particularly at Prusel, this is the pre the preschool where my kids went. That's like a music kind of themed school. There were other writers dropping their kids off. And at the time I had no idea they were writers there. They would, you know, you just chit chat and you talk about the weather, your kids stuff, you know, and yeah. one, you know, so like, it, so it turns out there were all these people that I was standing waiting around with and had no, I had no idea. So I don't, well, I don't know what the lesson is from that. Maybe, maybe the lesson is that, you know, maybe just like push a little farther with the people that you're waiting around for while you wait for your kids to come out. But but yes, it's so it's so important and it's a, and it's a game changer. That little bit of time that builds and builds and knowing that they're so happy while they're there is is just whatever kind of work you're doing but particularly creative work is a game changer. And based on that work, I'd love to hear about your journey as a writer. So it sounds like you did when was the bulk of your writing? Was it during that like beginning of the pandemic or was it already in your brain before that? Yeah, the I would say the bulk of the first draft of this was in like nap time and then those like early preschool days when, yeah, like it really at some point turned a corner. I took, she's also in the acknowledgements. Her name's Rufy Thorpe. She took, she ran a class through the online platform Catapult and it was called the novel first chapter. So I took this first chapter that had been following me and had been in a hard drive for years and brought it to that class and it felt, and she just lit a fire under me and this the rest of the women in the class. It was all women in this class too, including a writer named Megan Angelo, who wrote a book called Followers. That's also fantastic. It's wonderful. I believe it came out 2019. So two books came out of this class of six women and yeah, that class, just like Rufy Thorpe is also a beautiful writer. She writes female friendship like no one I have ever encountered. And she just like, you get you get a 30-minute phone call with as part of that class. And she just did not pull any punches. She did not BS me. She was just like, yeah, it's going to be hard and you're going to have to like carve out this time, but you have to. And it was so inspiring to hear that from one woman writer who'd already gotten on the other side of it and and made a book was like also just like like just life changing. So so yeah, then it was that sort of like nap time when the kids had a little bit of childcare built that first draft. If that and then that first draft was just one narrator, one 17-year-old girl, Liz, who's still here. So then so then that I brought to a workshop in Portland that's called the Tin House workshop that's amazing and I thought that was just like my ticket in. You know, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to meet some new people. I haven't been to a workshop in 10 years. I was like, and then I'm going to throw this in the trash. <laughs> but I, but I, on the plane back from that, I knew I had to add the rest of the family. So, so that was, so that's like part two. You know, I kind of joke that I wrote two, I've written two books. I'm not like, I'm not somebody that has like a catalog of 10 drawer novels, but I do feel like I wrote this book twice. I really fully wrote this book twice, you know? <laughs> that's amazing. And I, I'm, I think one of the things I've observed talking to authors is how much you have to just go back and forth and stick with it. 
it seems like so much of a game of strength of and not giving up that you're going to keep coming back to this and keep rewriting and keep getting feedback. And I just, I, I feel like I have a whole new like respect and adoration for authors for how long and how much effort is really going into this. Yeah, that's really true. It is an endurance sport. And if there's, if that, and I think that's the word of advice, that's it, right? If you're listening to this and you have a project that's not leaving you alone, you have a project that you get lost in, you have a project that you know you you feel that gap, right? That that gap between like what you want it to be and what you see on the page. That you had that that faith and that keeping on showing up is it, that's that's it. There's nothing super sexy about it, right? There's nothing. There's no other like big word of advice except to keep showing up. But it's funny. The flip side of that advice is Jennifer Egan said this at a Prairie Lights event, but she was quoting another writer, and I don't know who that was, but. That, but it was the, it was a, the question was like along these lines, right? How do I keep doing this? Like, you know, how do I keep doing this? How do I keep showing up and returning to this project? Particularly if you're not getting like external validation, you're getting rejections or you're getting radio silence or whatever. And the answer was actually the opposite. The answer was like, if you can stop, you should stop. (laughs) The answer was like, if you can do anything else that makes you happy, right? a garden, you want to make garden, you want to like learn to code, whatever, (laughs) you know, they was like, then, then you should. And of course the answer is always, well, no, of course, of course I'm not going to like when you really interrogate it and you imagine stopping and that sounds like the most absurd idea you've ever heard, then, you know, you have to keep showing up. That is so true. That is incredibly true. I feel like that, especially when you're talking about creative things, really anything, but I think something creative that also feels like, well, I can do this or just not do it. I think I went through some of that, even with creating a podcast. I was like, I could easily just not do this. Right. But there's, but I kept coming back to it. And so I think that it seems like that's the same thing from a writer's perspective too, that it's still in your head. Yeah. I think you have to, I think there's also, there's all kinds of advice about you have to write every day and whether you're making anything creative, right? You have to do it every day. You have to do it this way or that way. And I think the flip side of that, particularly for parents, is to give yourself a lot more grace and space between that too. I think that you can throw, you know, that all or nothing, throw it out the window if it's not perfect, you know, has to be on this schedule or that schedule. It like any parent will feel in their gut that that is terrible advice. You're set up, right? Think the world of a parent is set up for interruptions. This is. Absolutely true. (laughs) When you say that, what I picture in my head is, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning when I'm trying to do something. And then as soon as someone's awake and we're in that, we're getting ready to for the day and school and breakfast and packing lunches, then everything has to halt. And so it's I guess it's really about like not putting that pressure on yourself that it has to happen in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And be, yeah, being flexible and coming back around to things and also having faith, right? Like the podcast that you're making now is different than a podcast you would have made 10 years ago. And in the gaps and the waiting and same thing, right? The book I wrote that came out when I was 40 is very different from the version of this that would have come out when I was in my twenties. And in those gaps and in that time, I think you have to look at it as part of the part of what you're creating. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'd love to know if you have a favorite part 
or a favorite line in the shore? Oh, I think I I wrote the end early. And that's one of the parts that has been in all the drafts from the very earliest, clumsiest versions. So like, so sort of the last few lines about where, where you're from, I both also are really meaningful to me. I'll just, so they're like, where you're from is everything, an empire and an ending, a temporary joy and a permanent resilience. I also have to admit that it's a bit of, it's a little bit of Joan Didion fan fiction. (laughs) She's the queen of writing where you're from. You know, she writes, she, nobody writes Sacramento or any location, right? That's where she's originally from, but nobody writes, nobody writes about that. Like her, you know, she's the queen of Sacramento, (laughs) but, but, but yeah, the, I think the other line is, I'm not sure exactly where, but it's where teenage Liz is first. She's at, she's at the end of her first date with with Gabe and Mm -hmm. with love interest Gabe and who everybody has mixed feelings about. You could have a whole podcast about him probably. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. But, but it's where she's thinking to herself, right? It's a simple text exchange, like that little, like, hey, after you have a date and you're wondering what to text the person, right? But it's what's going through her head. And she ends up with like, hey, what have you already lost? Because this is a thing that's just like, she can't escape from that question in her own head. And all of a sudden, she she's a different person than 99% of her contemporaries, like at least everybody in her circle, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Somewhere out there, there's teenagers who are going through just what she's going through, but she doesn't know any of them personally right now. And she's feeling that separation and that, and you, I hope that you know from that line, like as she gets older, she'll know more and more people who can answer that question with, well, I have lost, I have lost something, you know, cause I think as you move on from being 17, that's how life goes. And you meet more people who have lost more things. But when you're 17 and you're meeting this very first person who you're wondering if you sh- how vulnerable you should be and what parts of yourself you should show, it's this question she has to answer. She doesn't answer it perfectly. <laughs> right. As a character, she makes plenty of mistakes answering that question for herself. Right. <laughs> At, like you do. <laughs> yeah. And I, so now that makes me curious about, you know, was, was the way Liz or other characters there reactions and approaches to the dad what was that something that came from your experience your observations how how much of it was was really you yeah yeah I think that all three all three women I think have some of me in them and some of my mom and my sister and a lot of the just scenes are very similar to things that we went through like for example my dad had a friend who like in the early stages of things, his his was longer. He went three years. So it's a longer time. The character in the book is much more compressed. And that is the, a more normal timeline for this particular tumor. But he would go and help his dad. His friend owned a liquor store and he would go and help his friend at the liquor store. And God knows what happened while he was up there. Like he'd be up there for a couple hours. It was like a time for him to spend with his friend. And it's a liquor store in Seaside Heights, New Jersey, right? It's like absurd. You're like, it's like an absurd way to spend a few hours, right? <laughs> but it was a time for him to be with his friend and mm-hmm. chat with people and spend a few hours doing something that was in her house. And so from that to the, 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 all the parts where they're out in public with him on a walk, in a restaurant, out at a grocery store, none of them are like, you know, exactly lifted from reality, but they all, they all could be. And as far as, as far as the women, one thing I like to say is that like, the characters sometimes are 10 out of 10 
versions of how you might mm-hmm. respond and how you might interact. Though sometimes it's also dialed back and closer to how how we would have responded to. But it's like, I call it like an improv show. You sort of have to like, it's a very like, it's like a, oh, we're doing this now kind of moment mm-hmm. um, that I think all three women and in my own experience you have in common. You're like, oh, this is, ha- this is happening now. We're like, oh, he's off. He's talking to that person over there. He like, he's off in the store and it's, it's tragic, right? It's both like, it's a very different kind of caretaking, but you, what else can you do? You're, you're doing this now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And how, how has your own reading habits influenced your writing? So what, what books do you read? What's one of your favorite books from childhood, for example? Tell me more about that. Yeah, I just revisited last spring. I was doing like a listicle kind of thing for Lit Hub. And I revisited The Girl's Guide to Hunting and Fishing by Melissa Bank. You can picture the cover, right? It's the girl yes, in the, the hunter boots and the long. Yes. And it was like a runaway. It had the uh, the plaid spine. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Yes. And I read it when I, it came out. And I read it, I believe, when I was 17. And it was, that one was fascinating to revisit in my forties. It a hundred percent holds up it, but as a writer and, and reading it at this stage of life, really different things struck me. Like there's a relationship with an older man that didn't strike me when I was a teenager. It seemed more glamorous to me and it seemed a little bit more like exploitive to me as a grown up, you know, there's a relationship with that. It's interesting. You mentioned the Jeff and Liz from work where I'm, where I was, I was a teenager myself and I was like witnessing this love blooming, right. And all of the ups and downs, the very first story, because it's, it's a novel in stories, really that it, it, it like she's observing her brother and his girlfriend and she really loves the girlfriend and she like ha- watches the ups and downs of this and they're in this Jersey Shore house and LBI for this. So it's also one of the first times I read something that was set at the Jersey Shore. I read that very first chapter and I was immediately obsessed. <laughs> the last thing about that book that I think holds up and I read differently is there's a there's a wacky chapter where she writes in the voice of like, do you remember the book, The Rules? It also came out around that time and it was like how to get a man. It was just like the these old fashioned rules for like how to get a husband. And it was and it was just like everyone was talking about it for like a year because it was very very like regressive and very old fashioned. But like yeah. everyone was obsessed with it. So she writes in that voice of like the rules in this chapter. So <clears throat> that as a writer playing with form and Part of me is like, how did that get published? That seems like so experimental and weird to make it into a bestseller in the 90s. But it, but I did. So I just have a lot to say about that book. <laughs> but I think the other, the, like my like genre of choice that I become obsessed with is are like books that make you feel what it's like to be that age and that person, mm-hmm. right? So my other two that I think I'm like obsessed with are Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong. It's also about a dad who has dementia, but it's this woman who's 30 years old and it's told in a year of journal entries when she goes home to Orange County, California. And so it's amazing. It's like this big and it will kick your ass. Like it will just like it will just emotionally wreck you and make you mm-hmm. laugh out loud. And it's it's so beautiful. So yes, we we could definitely have a podcast series on this question, but those are. Yeah. Those are things that really I come back to really often and I think play with form and play with like tragedy and humor 
in such a beautiful way. So it sounds like you look at books now from even like an author's perspective. Like has it, so it's changed the way you read a book, would you say? That's a really good question. I think, yes, right? And to be totally honest, I think, I think like once you've been on the other side of like the gauntlet that is publishing, right? Yeah. I will I will be really honest that sometimes you read a book that did really well and you can't help but be like, why? <laughs> <laughs> then you get your head straight and you're like, well, like, yeah, everybody gets to read different things and be in a mood for a different thing at a different time. And of course that book should sell tons and tons, right? Like you like, want just because it's not what you're in the mood for right and like the exact aesthetic that like you might be aiming for in your own writing like there's always something to learn and see and appreciate and 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 get from that so that so that's the part I will like admit is the like snarky writer side that you just have to catch yourself and say just don't just don't do that Yeah, but I'll be honest that you do it I think most writers if they're being totally honest probably would admit to it too but the other side of that that is the thing that if you told me 10 years ago that I would get to do this, I would, you could have knocked me over with a feather is knowing someone first and then reading their finished book, right? Like you get to know other writers in a way that, you know, your book is that ticket to that dance. And that is a really beautiful thing. When you get, you know, a person first and then you get to read their book. It's incredible. You get to hear the cadence of their voice in it. You get to, you get to, feel all the things that they've like, you know, they're obsessed with, you know, a friend of mine has a romance book coming out and her name is Chloe Angel. And she had a nonfiction book come out, but a romance book is coming out in about four weeks. It's called Pa de Don't or it's P-A-S. So that's French and ballet. I think I pronounced it right. (laughs) Um, So that was a first I got to read romance that someone I already knew had written. And it was so much fun. It's very spicy and it was great. I love that point, which makes me wonder now that I met you and I'm talking to you, will I get to read another book that you've written? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Well, if you get to read it, you can absolutely have, since we had this podcast, whatever happens publishing wise, I will send you my beautiful word documents, (laughs) but be careful, be careful what you wish for. But, but yes, I'm working on something and I, and I'm trying to just really give it space and time, you know, and I, and I just be not precious about it. You know, I started probably three or four projects this year and being really patient and being really proud of the word counts and the output without worrying if every single thing is going to be like, you know, the next book that's akin to the thing I spent 10 years on. Right. But I was really it had been a long time since I felt that really immersive feeling. And I am feeling that in this project, wherever it goes, it's like, that's like an old friend because the editing a book that you already wrote is a, such a different process. And you're in such a different place in your brain, right? Working with an editor and finishing that, than starting something new. So, so yes, I hope so. And I'm very happy with, very happy with like the, the vibes and the process feeling right now and trying to give it some space. Good. Well, I am glad that you are, you're continuing to write because I really loved so much about the shore, the, just your description of the setting and the emotions related to what was happening with their father and their lives and all. And, and so that actually leaves me with a question of, 
I'd love to hear just like a favorite memory of your father. Oh, yeah. You know, I think running, running is probably one that's really kind of burned into my memory. I was, I ran in high school. Yeah, there's, there's some running in the shore too. I think it's a very particular, it's been like a really particular companion to me in different ways throughout my whole life. And yeah, he, he would, he would cheer for me, but he also knew like every other kid on like every team and everybody knew him, you know, he like his and his enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. It's another thing that probably drove me crazy at the time. <laughs> of course. I was, I was probably like, oh, you need to like know everybody's name on every team. But in retrospect, it's a really beautiful memory that that level of enthusiasm. I think when when that's all, you know, I think you could take it for granted. But as I've gotten older, I realize how special that is. It's a very particular kind of thing, right? It wasn't like a big, you know pressure, blah, 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 you know, bad stuff. It was just pure mm -hmm. enthusiasm for this thing that he loved and that he was watching. So there's some particular memories of like a beautiful fall day, like at Homedale Park, I'm sure you know, mm -hmm. uh, which has the, it's this wildly hard cross-country course with this vertical hill at the end and seeing him at the end of that, right, as you're kind of coming out is, a, yeah, is one of my most beautiful memories, I think. So yes, the bowl, right? I think yeah, it was the bowl. Called. Did you run yeah. there? Yeah. Did you I run? did. <laughs> I did. I haven't been back there as a grown up. I wonder. I I really want. Like I, I feel like I'm always on my way somewhere when I pass that exit. <laughs> and I really should go back and see if my memory. Have you been back more recently? I have not. Right. Same thing. I wonder in my memory. I'm like, was it really that bad? Was it the anxiety right. of the bowl? The bowl, I know it was it, in in my yeah, in my memory. It's the most intimidating thing you could possibly conquer. I know I should make a stop back there and see see if it still is. What I love about you sharing that, though, because I happen to know it, is that being at the end of the bowl wasn't just like being where you parked. He had to go to he had to get to a specific spot right. to cheer for you and yeah. apparently everyone else. Everybody. Uh, so that's really special that I don't think even, you know, my coaches trekked out there to be, you know, at the end of the bowl. So yeah. that's really amazing. Yeah. And the general enthusiasm. I think, I think that's, that's the thing that made it into the book and that the, the characters really think about, they have these little teeny tiny flash forwards. And one of the ones that Liz has is thinking about like, assuming that everybody would be as interested in other people as her dad was, right? And as as like likely to engage with a stranger or really ask people about their lives. And I think I took that a little bit for granted, right? If you were at some party or you're chit-chatting, right? Like, and it's it's actually a more unusual trait in people than I realized as a teenager and is definitely part of being a writer, kind of obsessing and being really, I don't think you can fake it either, being really interested in other people's lives, right? And, you know, and asking those like next questions to really get to know them, whether it's a stranger or someone you're just getting to know a little bit better. I think that's something that, yeah, that I share with Liz. Well, Katie, I'm so happy that you talked to me about your book, The Shore, and your acknowledgments, your writing, and, and really your life. I'm so appreciative of that. 
Oh, I thank you so much for having me. I love reading acknowledgments. And I think this is just such a great way in to talk to writers. And I'm just I'm just so excited to see where this podcast goes and all the different ways that writers approach it. There's different schools of thought on them. And I think there's a real art to it. And and I think it's great no matter what uh, approach you take to them. But I'm so happy to have gotten to talk about them with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for getting curious about the acknowledgements. And remember to read from cover to cover. Check out the acknowledgements on Facebook, Instagram, or theacknowledgements.com. There you'll find more information on the books and authors that I talk about here.